Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Brian Clayton. Brian, welcome to the show. Henry, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Yes, absolutely. Glad to have you on the show today. Brian is going to share his entrepreneur journey, how he started, grew, and sold his first lawn care business, and how he's now connecting homeowners and lawn care service providers through his new company and platform, GreenPal. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Brian Clayton is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with lawn care professionals. And we're going to chat all about how that works on this episode. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 100,000 active users completing thousands of transactions per day, meaning asking for their lawns to be taken care of and service providers offering to, to do that. And so it facilitates that whole transaction, as we'll talk about. Before starting GreenPal, Brian Clayton founded Peachtree Incorporated, one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over $10 million a year in annual revenue before he sold it and it was acquired by Lusa Holdings back in 2013. Brian lives in Nashville, Tennessee. So once again, Brian Clayton, welcome to the show. Henry, thanks for having me on, man. Yes, this is the you know, this is the kind of stuff I love to talk about. You know, real small business in America, which is what I think is at the heart of it, right? Yeah, you know, I think business is is one of those beautiful things that you can focus your life's intensity on to make something of yourself, and and to really even better than that, uh, develop purpose for your life. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think uh, I think Freud said that we were that human beings are searching for for pleasure as, as a, as a means of purpose. And then, uh, and then other psychologists came along and said, no, it's not that people are, are, are searching for some sort of meaning to their life, some sort of purpose. And for me, like my business has always been the vehicle for that purpose. Like mm. what, what, what am I working on and why does it matter? And, uh, that's one of the beautiful things I love about business. And, and, and it's one thing that's kept me going 20 years, building, building and selling my first business and now working on my second company. Yeah. Love that. So before you started your first company, Peachtree, because you started a pretty young, what were you doing in life? Yeah, so I was drug into uh, entrepreneurship, kicking and screaming by my father. <laughs> Is that right? On a, on a hot summer day, I was, I was playing Mario Kart, and he said, get, get off your butt. You've got a job to do. You're going to go mow the neighbor's grass. And he forced me to go cut the neighbor's yard. He actually helped me to, in his defense, and uh, we split $20 at the end of that. <laughs> How and old I, were you then? I was, uh, I was 15 years old. Okay. And so, uh, and so I was actually hooked on, on business ownership and entrepreneurship after that experience. And so what what hooked you, what was it about it that was like, wow, there's something here for me. My parents had the forward thinking to understand that they just, you know, they would buy me the things I needed, but they wouldn't buy me the things I wanted. And I'll never forget it. There was a pair of soccer cleats that I wanted that were like a hundred dollars. This is back in the, in the nineties. And, uh, and they, and now we're not going to buy you those. We're going to buy you the cheap ones. I was like, well, how the hell am I going to get these soccer cleats I want? And so I was able to save up the money to buy those soccer cleats, uh, by cutting grass that summer. And I was hooked on that. I was like, you know, I don't have to ask for permission from anybody for anything anymore. I can just, I can just work hard and, and do the things I want to do, 
buy the things I want to buy. And that just, that just hooked me in the early days. Um, and by the end of that first summer, I had like, like eight, eight customers in the neighborhood. And then I just kept with that business. I, I kept mowing yards throughout high school. And then I put myself through college, uh, mowing grass. And then I figured that when I graduated college, I had to make a hard decision. Was I going to go into the job market like my peers uh, and essentially take a pay cut? Or was I going to stick with this lawn mowing business? I didn't have any sort of passion for cut grass or, right. or anything like that. But I, but I did love the idea that I could see that I could build a real business around what I was doing. So I went to school for business and I laid out a very crude five-year game plan for where I wanted to be in five years. And I, and it was very simple and I just worked, I worked hard and executed against that plan. And over a 15 year period of time, I built that into one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, over 150 people got it over $10 million in revenue. And in 2013, uh, that company was acquired by one of the largest landscaping organizations in the United States. That's fantastic. Going back to though, as you're graduating college, what did your parents think about you going and starting a lawn care business? You know, it's not the most sexiest, uh, glamorous business. You know, when I think, I think what holds a lot of people up in business ownership and entrepreneurship is they don't want to be seen as starting from the bottom. And I think most every business that you get into, you know, you're going to spend three, four, five years at the bottom, just trying to get the business going. And lawn mowing is certainly one of those non-glamorous industries. You know, it's, it's right there with uh, being a mechanic or a home cleaner or a carpet cleaner. You know, it's, it's, it's not very esteemed. And so nobody was particularly excited about the prospect of, the, of, of me being a landscaper for my entire life, not even me. But I could see, I could see where it could go. Uh, I could see that uh, that I could I could duplicate myself over and over again, and I could build a big thing around what I was doing. And also, I had some other uh, kind of analog uh, examples of of other businesses in bigger cities that were doing uh, doing huge uh, amounts of business in this industry. So I was I was focused on that, and I kind of just didn't even care what anybody thought. And I just went with it. And as I grew that business, you know, my, my family was very proud of me, very proud of what I was doing. You know, I, I would send out 70 or 80 trucks every day. And it didn't matter where you went in Nashville, you would see one of my trucks. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, uh, you know, that, that was, that was a sense of pride later on, but in the early days, you know, you're, you're very much starting from the bottom. And I think that's what trips a lot of people up is that they don't want to be seen as starting from the bottom. Yeah, I think that's a tremendous insight, Brian. I, I think you're absolutely right. We we get caught up in the um, the impressions or the uh, you know the the how it looks or what others might think, and uh, especially because you were a college graduate, right? So the 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 um, what people were thinking that you should be doing, but you didn't care about that. You had a vision that drove you, and you could see which where you could take this business, and you really didn't care about what other people's opinions were. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's characterizes it pretty well. And, and to your point, yeah, I think it's even more of an issue today with, with social media and, and, and younger entrepreneurs. I do some free coaching and for business owners in Nashville as a hobby. And I see it time and time again, you know, this, this day and age where you have this persona that you have to, you have to like live on, on social media didn't exist when I was getting started and, and thank God it didn't, or else it might've discouraged me too. Right. But let's yeah. say you want, let's say you want to make something of yourself and you want to create a million dollar business and you decide to do it in the, in the home cleaning space or in the roofing space or as an auto mechanic, 
you're not going to get a whole lot of esteem from your peers for five years until you build something big. That's right. And you have to have that vision. But also what, what, it, what is there is this opportunity because there's an opportunity in these markets that are either underserved or certainly underserved by someone who does it the professional way, by somebody who's looking to build a business, not just you know mow lawns, put enough money in your pocket and then take a week off or not do much, right? Oh, There's opportunities there in these types of businesses. Well, and just, just one, one, I'll abstract it one layer further. Um, if you're, if you're a younger entrepreneur or even, or even at any age, and you're willing to take a fresh perspective to some of these older stodgy companies and apply even like just a fresh outlook and also layer in technology where you can to deliver a better service or product to your customer. I mean, there we're in a, we're in an awesome point in time for entrepreneurship. It's easier, to, it's easier than ever to get into. There's still a shift in terms of the old way of doing business and the new way. And there's so much opportunity out there to, to take a new approach on, a, on an existing type of business and just flat out do it better than your competition is. Yeah, I agree. Now, you touched on something that obviously is part of your personality. You've applied it to your businesses. You're still applying it today based on the research, which is this concept of, of bootstrapping. But I think it ties to what you already explained a minute ago, which is that ability that you had, it seems like from early on to delay gratification, to not be worried about, again, image and immediately spending that money you were making, but instead reinvesting it so that you could grow Peachtree and now Green Pal. Yeah, that, you think you know, that, did that come again from that upbringing of your parents teaching you to delay gratification? They, they certainly were instrumental. They, they taught me uh, frugality and, and being wise with my money. And, and that kind of set the stage for some other, I guess, influences in my life. One was Dave Ramsey. Growing up, I, I mowed yards for 14 hours a day, and I would listen to talk radio on my headset uh, while I was cutting grass. And so every day from, from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, Dave Ramsey would come on talk radio, and I hated him. <laughs> I thought it was the bo most boring, annoying show that that there ever was. And the only reason I listened to him was because he was between two other hosts uh, that, I, that I wanted to listen to. And I and I did. I just didn't enjoy the show. But uh, I just listened to this guy for like four years. And and he I don't still I still don't know if I enjoy his show, but he beat into my head. Uh, a lot of concepts such as, you know, living a, living a debt-free lifestyle. And, and I, and I applied that to my business and just being wise with your money and being frugal with your money. And that kind of set the stage for some other philosophies. I still, I still take with me to this day in business. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is Mark Cuban. He says, the least you can live on the greater your options. And, uh, and then for another quote uh, from Warren Buffett is, don't look at a hundred dollars, like a hundred dollars, look at it like a thousand dollars because that's what it will become. Mm. And so these concepts of being tight and smart with your money, making money, putting money back to work, make more money and, 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 a, and financing your business off of its own revenues is a, is like a slow and low sustainable approach to building any company. And that's how I built my first one. And that's how I'm building now my second one, green pal, I've, I've built both with no outside capital, no debt, and it's it's a lot harder, but I think it can increase your chances of success tenfold. And uh, and for me, it was really a lot of the reason why I was able to build my first company and get it sold because I had a real strong, healthy balance sheet when I when I made the decision to sell that company. Yeah, 
Yeah, great stuff. I, I, I think um, what I can tell you in speaking to a lot of people, a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, a lot of aspiring small business owners, Brian, one of the things that holds them back is they've, they've got an idea and then maybe it's a great idea and they're passionate, but they haven't put themselves in the position financially to be able to take that next step. To Absolutely. Point. Yeah. And, and that's mean, what they, I see again and again, and again, because it goes back to this willingness to delay gratification and, and save your money and put yourself in a financial position to be able to go ahead and take that chance and start a business. So much of the first, you know, months and years of, of getting any business going, breathing life into it is just what's your personal situation look like? Can you live on three or $4,000 a month? Uh, are you debt free? Do you, do you have a very uh, modest lifestyle? And a lot of that is going to determine your success or failure. Unless you're a proven entrepreneur with two or three successes under your belt and somebody's going to throw a bunch of capital at you, um, which, you know, is, is almost never the case, you're going to have to, like, take inventory of, of cleaning up your personal finances before you get started on the business. And then also not letting yourself get in that shape to where when opportunity does come, you're not stuck. Yeah. Yeah, agree completely. All right, why did you sell Peachtree, your first lawn care business? So for me, my business is like the the vehicle for my own personal development. So whatever it is I'm working on is the thing that causes me to level up, the thing that causes me, me to be smarter, uh, to develop new skills, and to constantly be growing and pushing forward. And so I had taken that company as far as I could take it. It was already one of the biggest in the state. I, you know, over 150 employees. And so, and I had done that for 15 years and I thought, okay, I've, I've taken this as far as I can. I've hit a plateau in terms of my personal development. I'm going to even explore the, the, the viability of if I can get this company acquired. And I didn't know that I could, uh, quite frankly. And it took from the time I had that internal conversation in my head to the time that the business was, was, was bought was two years. And so, uh, you know, I did that. And even just selling that company, I learned a lot, just a lot about negotiation and a lot about how to, how to do that. And so th that was a growing experience. That was kind of a season of that, of that business. So I wanted a new set of challenges. I wanted, uh, I wanted to kind of go to the next level. I wanted to start a new journey. And so that was the main impetus for, for deciding to sell that company. And, uh, and so I did. And, and after I got it sold, I took some time off. I, I was able to basically retire at that point. I was 32 years old and, and I didn't have to work anymore. So that was a great place to be. And, and uh, so I could do what I wanted to do. And so I thought, okay, well, I took some time off. and I, I got bored. I thought, okay, I'm going to work on my next best idea. And that was the idea for Green Palace. So mm. I, I saw what Uber and Lyft were doing for ride sharing, what Airbnb was doing for accommodations i thought okay an app needs to exist in this space that i just spent the last 15 years of my life and so i set out and, and recruited two co-founders and we built a product that was basically solving my own problem it solved a lot of the problems that i saw exist and we've been at this seven years and you know now we're over 200,000 customers we're going to do 20 million dollars in revenue this year so we're, we're a seven-year overnight success yeah is is green pal profitable at this point yeah. And so taking the same sustainable, hard, long slog approach of building the, uh, the second company has now put us in a position where we are profitable. We have taken on no outside capital. We have no debt. And 
there is a, there's a guy by the name of Paul Graham, who, who's a mentor in like tech startups. And, and he says, you know, when you're building one of these companies, you need to focus on being default alive. And so no matter what happens, you can survive because a lot of times when you're building a tech business, like, like we've been working on, you're inventing a new product. You're, you're building something that does not exist. You're kind of like out on the outer edges of what's ever been done before. And, but, but a lot of times like, you're only going to live as long as your funding lasts and mm-hmm. you're only, you know, you're only going to survive as long as your runway is. Um, and so there's been a shift in thinking to, to be default alive and be what they call a cockroach. Like nobody can kill you. You're just always <laughs> you're like, you're going to be the last man standing. And so that approach has helped us, you know, get to this point now where we're profitable, you know, COVID is, has, has really wrecked the economy in the last, you know, eight, nine, 10 months. And I, you know, I haven't lost a night's sleep. We've been profitable through this whole thing. In fact, we're growing. Whereas if I had, you know, $10 million in debt or a bunch of upset investors, it, it might spell doom for my business. Right. And you might, you might make decisions that are not as long-term focused. Yeah. Oh, very good point. And, and so financing your own, your business on your own revenue, like instills this force, this like, a level of discipline that ordinarily might not be there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the old saying mother uh, necessity is the mother of invention. It's very true. When, when you don't have a bunch of money in the bank that you've borrowed or, or investors have given you, you have to have a singular, very clear focus on what matters. Yeah. And most of the time, what matters is listening to your customers, listening to the people who use your product and fixing problems and building solutions to their problems. Yeah. But what, what do you enjoy the most now about being an entrepreneur? Like I mentioned, when we, when we started the, this, this talk is, you know, your business can be the, the source of purpose in your life. At least it is for me. Uh, it can be the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. Uh, one thing that I, that I, uh, like I said, I haven't worked a day in seven years now. Now the first three or four years in building GreenPile, my two co-founders and I worked 80, 90 hour weeks. But I still haven't worked a day in seven years because I've just always done what I wanted to do because my purpose is building this company. And so what gets me out of bed in the morning is like, I'll I'll ask myself, if it weren't for me, X. And so like, if it weren't for me, if I didn't get out of bed this morning, or or if I, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, or what, what have you, like, what would happen? And so if you have a good little small business or a big business, it can be the answer to that question. Well, if it's not for you, if it weren't for me, you know, there's 24 people that work for my company right now that, 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 that depend on it for a livelihood. Well, they would be out of a job. Um, there's thousands of service providers that use our technology and our platform to, to make a living, to, to make income, to pay their bills. They would be out of luck. And so like this is, been the source of purpose for my life and why my life matters. And that's, to me, one of the things that gets overlooked a lot about business is, is that, is that purpose aspect of it. And that can be the thing that gets you started. It can be the thing that gets you uh, through the low points because there will be many, and it can be the thing that sees you all the way through to success. However you, you measure that. And uh, it's one of the beautiful things about business that, that I think doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Very insightful. All right. So we've touched on it, but, but give me the brief elevator pitch, please, on, on GreenPal and, and what it does. Yeah, GreenPal is the easiest way in the world for a homeowner to get their grass cut. So let's say your grass is three feet tall. You can't get anybody to come out and mow your lawn. You just download GreenPal in the App Store, plug your name and address in. You'll get five quotes back from lawn mowing services in your neighborhood. You can read the reviews. 
hire the one you want to work with. They come out and mow the grass the same day. They'll upload a picture after they get done. You just approve it and then pay them and schedule them for the rest of the season and just set it up, forget it, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. So it's, it's the easiest way to get this one household chore done. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to share a special offer from our show sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. Some things about the holiday season never change, even when everything around us is. So when your small business needs to ramp up for the new year, LinkedIn Jobs is ready to help. Because LinkedIn Jobs matches your open roles with qualified candidates, which means you can find the right person for your business fast. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. And getting started with LinkedIn Jobs is easier than ever. I really appreciate the new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. You can post a job with targeted screening questions to help you quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. One of the new capabilities I also appreciate is that you can do all of this from your mobile device, no matter where you may be. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. Visit linkedin.com slash how to get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com forward slash H-O-W to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So when I, let's say I'm, I'm the homeowner now, uh, how do I, do I provide the specifics of how big my yard is and what I want specifically done? I, I want mowing and edging. I want leaf blowing. I, I specify all of that on the app. So when you sign up as a homeowner, you can get started in less than 60 seconds. And so all you have to do is put your email address and your physical address in. We take care of the rest. So we pull the records from your local municipality on how many square feet your yard is. We use aerial imagery from Google and street view imagery from Google. Uh, and then we also pull information from other sources like Zillow and Redfin to, to gather data around what, what the scope is of, of your lawn mowing. And that's usually enough for then a vendor to do a simple mowing and, and, and uh, edging. That's enough data for you to, to provide that to the vendor then. Exactly. So, so this, is, this is the easiest way to get basic weekly grass cutting. And that includes all the basics, you know, your, your weed eating, your trimming, your edging, your blowing off of the driveway, et cetera. It's a, it's a clean, nice lawn mowing job, which is what 80% of Americans need. Um, and now if you want a private gardener to come out and, and, and do some more detailed work, GreenPal can help with that, but that's not the main use case. The, right. the, the, the primary use case is um, you just need a basic grass cutting service to come out every week or every two weeks. And, and actually, when we got started uh, building this company, we thought it was the more higher end clientele that we would be serving. And what mm. we came to understand after talking to hundreds and thousands of our users is that, no, we're actually making it more accessible for your working class people. Um, let's say you, you have a dual income uh, household and you don't have time to mow your own yard, uh, but you also don't have time to spend $500 a month for, for a landscaping service. Right. Well, GreenPal can hook you up with a great lawn mowing service to do it for $30. And it's, it makes it to where it's profitable and efficient for that service provider and to where it's convenient and affordable for you, the homeowner. Okay. So I put my, my standard, typical suburban lot home up and then, and I'm like you said, in a, a few minutes 
and and I say I need it. I, do I also specify then that I need this done this week, tomorrow, whatever? Some come some kind of deadline if I have one. Yeah, the, the default is tomorrow. Tomorrow. So ninety percent of of people that sign up on our service need somebody ASAP. Right. That's because why they, they they've a, put it off or they haven't gone to it and they right. finally decided let's hire somebody. Hey, this is a good way to do it. I post that and then what happens next? Uh, so after you post that and you can select whatever day you want. Uh, but if you don't, the default is tomorrow. And so then you'll get five quotes back in less than a minute. And then after you get those quotes, you can read reviews on them. Okay, well, what, what have other people that use GreenPal said about their services? And then you can also look at data that we have aggregated about them that doesn't exist anywhere else, such as how often do they show up on time? How often do their clients book them for a second lawn mowing or book them for the lawn mowing season? So then you can suss out really quickly who's good, who's reliable, who's not. And you can make a decision based off price and reliability and, and reviews that's right for you. And, and this is important because let's say you, uh, you're a barista at a coffee shop at Starbucks or something like that. And you don't, you know, you're just scraping by to make ends meet and you can't afford to go buy a, a $700 lawnmower. And so, but, but your landlord is breathing down your neck because your grass is three feet tall. Well, mm -hmm. okay. You might not want the most expensive option in the marketplace. You may just want somebody quite frankly, that's cheap. Well, green pal can help you find that person. Oh, but let's say that uh, you're ordering a lot. We have this happen a lot. You're ordering a lawn mowing service for your mother and you know, she's very particular. Well, then you need to, to, to select somebody who's more on the higher end of price and quality. And so we help you pick the best uh, option for you because this is not really a commodity. Um, there, there's different levels of service, different types of service providers. And you really don't know who's good and who's not by doing it the old way. You kind of have to go through this song and dance four or five times, whereas Green Pal like solves all that in, in minutes. Mm -hmm. So um, to that point on the pricing, let, let's say the going rate for my type yard in my area is 50 bucks. Do, do you allow then vendors to bid 10 bucks if they wanted to and conversely 500 bucks? Is there, are there any limits there or is it a completely open market in that regard? Yeah, there's there's tolerances. So there's a minimum uh, pricing threshold because because we know at a certain tipping point, it's impossible to deliver any kind of uh, basic experience to homeowners. And if you uh, allow them to do that, that's going to wreck the whole model for everybody. And it doesn't serve anybody. Nobody's happy. The, the yeah. homeowner gets a gets a, a, a poor experience. The bit the service provider goes out of business. Uh, nobody wins. Yeah. And so that we've had sense. to optimize and tune these things over years of trial and error of understanding, okay, this is the minimum. Certainly this is the top end. And, and a lot of times like the, the, the price pricing for lawn care is, is not real what they call uh, price elastic, right? Meaning like as, as price goes up, uh, demand is, is not really tight. And so mm -hmm. it is, you know, $5 does oftentimes drive a, a buying decision. I see. And so you kind of need to be, if it, if it, and, and, and to your point about $50 in your area, we also measure the average cost per zip code. And so we, we, we serve that to the homeowner and the service provider. And we say, okay, the average uh, lawn mowing price based off of 78,000 transactions in 37208 is $34. Okay. So you so, have an algorithm that's constantly looking constantly at measuring that. Okay. Yeah. And so just so you know, homeowner and grass cutting service, this is what the average is. Now, I see. So you'll show me that to help mm -hmm. me make a decision as to, okay, 
Henry is below the average, but yeah. that again might be what I need here. And whereas, right. you know, uh, you're a little bit above it, but you're offering that you have that higher rating, you have more experience, all whatever might come with that. Yeah. Exactly. And so let's say you're the service provider and you're just cutting your way into the industry, you might price a little tight, or you're the service provider and you have 10 lawns on that street already. Well, I can do it for $28 and still sure. make money. Sure. Um, and then on the other side of the transaction, let's say you're a homeowner and, and, and this is a rental property and you just want mowing every two weeks. You really are not too terribly concerned with, with how it, it doesn't need to look like a golf course. Right. And so, okay, yeah, I need that $28 service. It's kind of like almost deciding to a degree, like what restaurant you want to go to uh, in terms of pricing and, and quality. And we help you make that decision in minutes rather than like having to dial for dollars all day long mm -hmm. on Craigslist, Yelp or Facebook. You can just like have all this served to you right on your mobile app. Now for the vendor side of it, the service providers, the long care professionals, they choose what uh, opportunities they want to bid on, obviously, right? That's right. And, and, and we have built this from a lawn care service, I guess, value proposition first. Our, our, the way we attack the building the marketplace is if, if professionals can't make material income uh, and run their entire business on our platform, if they can't do that, then nothing else matters because homeowners then are not able to hire these people off the shelf. And so, you know, my 15 years of being in the lawn mowing industry, I understand it's, it's a really hard way to make a living. And we have built this set of tools to really over index on their needs. And so bidding for them is totally free. Uh, it's totally free to be a member of green pal. They only pay a transaction fee for the, for the work they get to do on the platform. And, uh, and we really over, over kind of, overemphasize making sure that they're happy because if they're not happy, then, then, then the homeowners aren't going to get a good experience. Sure. All right. And so since you touched on, I want to talk about the fees. If I understood it correctly, when a service provider provides the service and then it's time for payment, you green pal is taking 5% of that transaction plus the credit card processing fees paid by the vendor. The homeowner doesn't pay anything in this process. That is correct. The price that the homeowner sees is the, is the price they pay. And uh, that's another nice thing about, about our product is like, you know, when you get on DoorDash or Postmates or, or Instacart, you know, I love these services. And, and in, a, in a way, they've kind of helped our business kind of condition consumers to understand that you can use technology and your mobile, mobile phone to get a lot of these chores done. So I, I love those companies, don't get me wrong. But you know, the, the joke is you order a $7 sandwich uh, from DoorDash and when it comes, you know, it's 34 bucks. Right. And, and that's just, that's just, just annoying to me. And so for us, for, for the homeowner facing uh, piece of the product, the price they, they see is the price they pay. There's no other fees layered on. And then the, 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 how we make money is the service provider pays a transactional fee. And then there's also some additional tools that they can uh, pay for if they want to, to help them run the business better. Okay. So again, now looking at it from the, the long care provider, the vendor, as you call it, or, or, or the service provider, there's a bunch of benefits here. Obviously, we don't have time to get into a lot of the detail, but obviously there, there's the marketing that now I can save because I'm you're facilitating getting access to a market that I would have otherwise had to spend money on, go put door hangers on, whatever I might be doing. The payment and cash flow is huge because I'm getting paid right away. I don't have to invoice I don't have to wait on collecting. That's all happens automatically through the app and then in building the business. But the key question I had that I'm interested in is 
and I'll ask it simply, who owns the client? Yeah, good question. And to quickly to your, your point, it's not only like getting the customers and handling the bill payment and, and handling the routing that our technology does for the service provider, but it's also like, how, how do you even do that? Let, let's say you want to get in the lawn mowing business. You don't know the first thing about marketing. You don't know the first thing about bookkeeping. You don't know, like, so it's not even, it's not even necessarily the execution. It's, it's getting over like the cognitive overhead. Yeah. Not to mention that a lot of times what happens is you just throw a lot of, a bunch of money and make a lot of mistakes. Right. You know? Exactly. So it's, it's not only like, it's not only doing it, but it's like, how to do I, where do I even start? Uh, we have a lot of part-time uh, service providers like firemen, teachers that just want to mow yards three days a week to put an extra thousand dollars in their pocket. And they just plug into our platform and they're able to get up and going. They don't have to worry about all this stuff. Okay. So what do I got? Where am I? I got to pass out a bunch of door hangers. Like I'm going to do some Facebook ads. Do those even work? I don't know. That could take five years to figure out. We just, we just simplify all that for them. Um, and then, so on, on the other side, uh, on to your other question, who, who owns the customer? And this is very, very, very critical uh, on ter in terms of who owns that customer relationship. For us, the service provider owns it. It's still their customer. It's they, they need to treat that customer as though it's theirs. It's not a customer of GreenPals. They use GreenPal as though you would use Yelp, Google, or Facebook, or any other tool. Let's say you use Yelp uh, to, to figure out where you want to eat. Are you a customer of Yelp? Not really. You're, you're a customer of the restaurant you go to eat. So the, for the homeowner that uses GreenPal to find their lawn mowing service, they're the customer of the lawn mowing service. Uh, and so that's how we approach it because this stuff is not a commodity. Um, and so we don't want to own that customer relationship because I don't, I don't, I can't uh, be the customer service rep for why your back patio didn't get blown off. If you live in Boulder, Colorado, yeah, I'm not you're, there. You're just facilitating this connection, but of course you're also providing all of these other benefits to the vendor that make it worthwhile to continue to use the platform. However, at some point, I might get to the point where you were, where I'm ready to get to the point where you were with Peachtree, and I might want to go on my own. I can, at that point, take my clients that I've built up through the GreenPal platform with me because now I might have the infrastructure to do those things, and that's okay? Theoretically, you can, but in practicality, it just doesn't work. Um, let's say you get 100 people uh, that you're mowing grass for, on GreenPal. So all of the CRM, all of the billing, all of the routing, all of the marketing automation, all of these things are, are, are handled for you on your platform. And so now you got to go to a hundred different people and say, Hey, listen, I know you're accustomed to, you know, how we've been doing this the last year or two or three years, but now I need for you to go like mail me a check every month or, or Venmo me or, and, and, and then, then you get in as a service provider, you have to keep up with all of that. And so theoretically, yes, you can, but it just doesn't happen because the, the switching costs are just so high on both sides of the transaction. And then, and then on top of that, why would you, it's like, okay, I'm going to save a dollar on like if you're the homeowner, you're like, I'm going to save, I'm going to save a dollar. Or if you're the service providers, like I'm going to save a dollar on the transaction. And I'm, I'm still going to have to do, I'm still going to have to carry accounts receivable. Okay. That's know? fair, Brian. But when, when you were at $10 million at Peachtree, now, would you have great, continued using something like point. GreenPal? Yeah. Great point. 
and so for us, the, the, the service provider that gets value out of our platform is the, the one man or two man operator yeah. for your bigger companies. Like as I grew that first business, we didn't do residential lawn mowing service. We, we did the first maybe two years uh, I, I did residential grass cutting and then I had to break out of that to get into the commercial market. Cause that's so where the money you, is for, for the independent. Yeah. 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 You can't build a $10 million business, uh, by doing $33 lawn mowings. It's just not possible. Um, and, and so, so for, for my former business, it'd have been great as I was getting started. And if, and, and then if I wanted to stay there, but if you are like, like, one in the thousand lawn mowing services that wants to build an eight figure business, you're going to have to break out. You're going to have to go after like six figure contracts. And that's not the game that Green Pal plays in. Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that also begins to answer the questions that I wanted to ask you about the secrets of building a lawn care business. I think that's a big one there, right? That that's gotta be something you see often when people are starting a lawn care business, they think that doing residential at the one-off scale, and that's the point, it, it can't scale beyond very much, right? Well, that's, yeah. So the lawn mowing business is, in my experience, one of the best businesses you can get into in terms of barriers to entry right. and just get up and running very quickly to, to make really material income. And it's a great way to learn business too. Like, let's say you have, you have visions of, of, of starting some kind of big business that's going to require $10 million in capital. Well, you know, you can, you can get started in something like lawn mowing or house cleaning or carpet cleaning or whatever and learn business. Spend a year or two in a simple business like the grass cutting business and learn the fundamentals of business. And, and then beyond that, if you want to stay with the lawn mowing business, there is a big gap between running a residential style uh, grass cutting service and, and building a big landscaping operation that does apartment complexes, office parks, airports, things of that nature. And it's, there's almost like this six or seven year mm -hmm. journey through the darkness where you're just trying to cut your way in. You're trying to prove yourself in the marketplace as a reliable contractor. You're doing work at cost, quite frankly, or sometimes below cost to just to get your name out there. You're, you're kind of cobbling together your sales process because the way you sell a $33 grass cutting is not even the same sport as the way you pitch a, a $90,000 a year maintenance contract uh, to an office uh, developer. And so it's a, they're almost not even the same business, mm -hmm. but you can kind of like, you can kind of uh, evolve from one to the other. And that's something that I was able to do over a 15 year period of time. Yeah. And since we're on that topic, is there one or two kind of shortcuts or not shortcuts necessarily, but, but tips on what you would have done differently to, to progress through that growth to the next level? Yeah, you know, it took me 15 years to do what I did. I could probably do it all in three now. You wow. know, if, if, if I had to parachute into somewhere and, and if I wanted to, to so, do So it what's again, one thing that you would do differently to accelerate it that significantly? Uh, make money and invest that money wisely. And so let's say you're making a uh, half million dollars a year uh, in basic services. And, and so then, you know, you as the business owner, try to live as cheaply as you can. And then as, as soon as you can, you hire a rock star salesperson. I see. And so they're going to make like more money than you 
you know, quite frankly, for, for several years, but you're paying them well and, and the incentives are aligned and they're running a sales process that you've developed, you've outlined, uh, and, and they're just kicking butt. And then, so let's say you got the sales side of it figured out, then you have to really focus on uh, all of your intensity on the operations side of it. How do you recruit labor? How do you train labor? How do you keep labor? Um, how do you, how do you uh, have quality assurance that they're doing a good job? And like, like articulating and laying out all those processes um, and tuning them, getting them better and better and better. You know, I've done all of that stuff. And so I know how to do all that stuff. I can do it again very, uh, very efficiently now, but where I'm, when, but I would spend, you know, three years beating my head against the wall, trying to figure out our sales process. Uh, and it wasn't until I, I got sales coaches. I, I went to conferences and learned best practices on sales in our industry. I talked to like one year, we went to a, a sales conference in Chicago and I met with the biggest landscaping company in Chicago. They had about $80 million a year business. And I, and I met with them and I looked at their systems and processes on how they did sales prospecting and how they closed deals. And, and they were nice enough to show those to me. And so I applied those to my business. You know, that was one kind of inflection point that helped us, you know, figure out what we were trying to do. It took a long time through trial and error to figure this stuff out. Um, and I can do it quicker now. Now, the other thing too is, is building that company in the early, you know, 2000s, there wasn't podcasts like this one. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't online classes. A lot of this information was not as, as accessible. Um, and so now in many ways, it's easier to learn these systems and processes than it ever has been because it's all right at your fingertips. You just have to like turn off whatever it is you're watching on Netflix and pop up YouTube on your TV <laughs> and, and digest this stuff. Yeah. No, well said. Lots of great insights there. Thank you, Brian. And, and just one quick question, follow-up question on hiring the salesperson. Are they going off after residential and commercial or just commercial, or does it depend on where I am, obviously in my business, but where do you set them to go attack? You know, ideally it's not going to be economically viable unless they're going after the, the lucrative uh, high ticket deals because a lot of, you know, green, for instance, green pal doesn't have any salespeople because we're all inbound it we we develop a lot of web traffic to our property and people come to our property to look for a basic lawn mowing service we don't have a we don't have a direct sales agent because the economics don't work um and and the same the same dynamics apply to all the way down to if you're running a lawn mowing business so you don't want that guy who's making you know six figures chasing those small uh clients you want, you want to really focus on one thing that you're doing better than all of your competitors and you want to attack that. So the more you can focus on a type of client, on a geographical area, and really just hone in on something that you're doing better than anybody in the marketplace and really forming that value proposition around that, that way your sales guy uh, ha has, has something to sell. And also, before you even hire this salesperson, you need to do these things yourself for at least a year so you have an idea of what it is you're trying to do. Because it's, it's impossible to delegate this stuff if you haven't attempted to do it and haven't done it yourself to some degree. The right salesperson can help accelerate that. But if you're just like, okay, I don't want to do cold, I don't want to cold call 100 people a day, so I'm going to hire somebody to do it. That's not a really good way to, to approach this because it's, you don't even know what to delegate. And so that's the, that's the other piece. So, so, okay, you've got them focused. You kind of know what you're doing and you've got them really attacking a, a subset of the market and, and really figuring out how you're going to like 
position yourself in that market different than your competitors and then tune it as you go and figure out what the goals are and, 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 and what the, like you have the output metrics, like you want them to like maybe deliver hundred K or 500 K in revenue. And then what the input metrics are to get there in terms of how many prospects they need to be calling on a day, how many sales visits they need to be setting up every week, how many of those they need to be closing. Going through that process of, of developing that sales system is what's going to get you in any business from 250K to, to, to 5 million. Yeah, great stuff. One, wonderful. Great advice. Thank you for, for those details, Brian. Um, all right, we'll start to wrap it up here. What's next for GreenPal? So been at GreenPal for seven years. Uh, a few hundred thousand people use the technology we've built to, to get this chore done. We're in every major city in the United States. And, you know, you look back and it's like, wow, look how far we've come. You know, our, our first year we, we ended with 23 customers and half of them were my friends and family. <laughs> and, so, uh, and, and, and so we've come a long way, but it's still, I mean, the, the Jeff Bezos quote, it's still day one. We have so much further to go in terms of making Green Pal just like the default option on how you get this chore done and, you know, putting it right there in like the lexicon of like Uber and, and Instacart and, and like Yelp uh, as the way you just like handle this chore. And so until we've achieved that, we, we, we're not done. And so we've got a long way to go in terms of distributing the, the platform throughout the country. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. Um, I know, obviously, one of the big things I learned in the research and in speaking with you today is you're uh, an avid learner. You you taught yourself so much of this by reading, by listening, by watching videos. You've articulated that throughout this conversation. I think that's a huge reason for your success. And so I'm, I'm always curious of a book recommendation. I know you're a big fan of the E-Myth, but there's another book I believe that that you would like to recommend. Yeah, uh, there's about there's about a hundred books, uh, <laughs> but uh, how do I pick one? Uh, I'll 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 pick one and then I'll add another. So uh, one book is called Built to Sell, and you might think, okay, well I don't I don't have a company to sell, so why should I read that? Well, it can help you think through how do you even build a company that could be sold, and what that means is is processes, it means systems, it means scalability, and if you start that. Uh, that mindset like day one or year one or, or wherever you're at in the journey, it can help you not only build a company that could be sold, but, but just build a good company. Like there's a big difference between being self-employed and owning a business. And I think a lot of times people conflate the two and built to sell can kind of help you get out of that, that get, get out of that paradigm of just, you basically have built a, a job for yourself. You don't have a business yet built to sell can help shake you and wake you up. The other book is The 4-Hour Workweek, and you might think, oh, well, I, I, I'm certainly going to have to work more than four hours, and yeah, that's very, very true. Like the, the, the title of that book is not what that book is about. The 4-Hour Workweek is about processes. It's about delegation. It's about automation. It's about making yourself more efficient as a business owner and, and getting more done in less time and focusing on, on high leverage things like developing processes and systems, and that's why I like it. Yeah, two great book recommendations. I've read both of them. So thanks for that. We'll have a link to those as well as to everything we've talked about, including to Green Pal. We'll have links to all of that on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, Brian, we'll wrap it up. What's, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we had? I think from the perspective of I, I'm thinking about either starting or growing my lawn curve business, what's one thing we've talked about that uh, you would like us to take away from this conversation? 
you know, I mean, I'll take it back to there's got to be, it doesn't matter where you're at in this, in the journey of building your business. There's got to be some sort of irrational obsession to, to, to be successful in it that has to drive you and money is important. I mean, it motivates us all, but I mean, beyond that, like you have to have some sort of desire uh, to make something of yourself or to create something great for your family or for you or for your employees. Like, for me, there has to be some sort of, mag- it's almost like a magnificent obsession to be successful in your business. And then that can like lend your life purpose. And to really key in on that and hone in on that can be the thing that gets you through the, the 10 or 20 years it's going to take to be successful and in- starting and running your own company. Well said, very inspirational. Thanks for that. Uh, tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. Yeah, so life's too short to cut your own grass. You can just download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store. You get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service in less than a minute. Uh, anybody who wants to reach out to me, hit me up on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter, uh, Brian M. Clayton on Twitter or Instagram. Brian, this has been a, a great conversation. I appreciate your candor, your your transparency for sharing all of this information and for the inspiration. Thanks for being with me today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Henry. I enjoyed it. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Brian Clayton. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. You can also just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.